Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershaz, and I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now, so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Man, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Murchazde, and boy, do we have a special guest today, my main man, Brian Robertson. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This should be fun. So guys, uh, I'm going to give a quick little background here. So I, uh, every now and again, I get, I get the special, I get hit up actually a lot for nowadays for people to be on the show. And normally I'm like, meh, but, uh, Brian's guy, Yoad hits me up and I'm like, holacracy, what's that? I'm like, I already knew what it was, but I'm like, Whoa, is this guy like promoting like a consulting firm? But by the way, you guys may be like, what the hell's holacracy? Oh, we could talk about that in a second, but. But I knew what it was. And I was like, this guy like consulting and doing Holacracy stuff. And then I found he's the founder of Holacracy. I'm like, whoa, I want to meet this guy. So and he's from Austin, which double, it makes him double as cool, as you guys know. So, uh, guys, Brian is a seasoned entrepreneur. He is uh, an organization builder and a recovering CEO. By the way, I call myself a recovering CEO by the, uh, nowadays. And, and I'll tell you why in a second. A job he now helps free others from with Holacracy. And we will be talking all things Holacracy today. Uh, generally regarded as a primary developer of the system, and Brian Works allows leaders to release the reins of personal power and persuasion into a trustworthy, explicit governance process. Basically, there is no manager, just a holocratic process. He's written the book Holacracy, aptly noted, and uh, it's bestseller. It talks all about the, the, the system of Holacracy, and he's a steward of the Holacracy Constitution, which captures the system's unique rules of the game in concrete form. Didn't you do a TEDx talk too about Holacracy? Yes, I did. Yep. And we have so much in common. I was a TEDx curator. So my yep. man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Wow. Let's chop it up. So Brian, I'm going to, do you mind if I tell you my, how I got yeah, I'm so curious? Please Holacracy. do. Yeah. All right. I'll, well, two things. So first of all, so I'm originally from California, but I, I ran to, to Austin, Texas about four years ago, four years ago this weekend, actually. But I, I came here, my wife's family's from here. Um, they actually founded a restaurant that's near your house called the, the County Line Restaurant. Um, oh, yeah, I know it. So that's my wife's family's restaurant. They founded oh, that. Cool. Um, anyhow, um, I was really, really, you know, I got really into core values. And I wrote a book called The Core Value Equation, which I just published uh, in September. 
And I, um, I got really into core values probably 2008 was when it started. And then in 2000, I think 12 or 13, there was this book called Delivering Happiness by, by Tony Shea. And, and I was like, I, I like Tony Shea's work. He, you know, I'm a, I was in San Francisco. So he was a San Francisco guy. I was a San Francisco guy. He had moved his business to, to Vegas, as we all know. And Zappos became Zappos. And I was like kind of halfway obsessed with, with Zappos. In fact, I was trying to build the Zappos of mortgage. That's what I called myself. So in fact, I actually had an article written in Entrepreneur Magazine called How to Become the Zappos of Your Industry. And so I, being a stalker, went to Vegas and went and did a tour of Zappos. And that was my first introduction to the this thing called holacracy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah they, they do this holocratic approach to management. I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, oh, it's just, there are no managers. I'm like, what do you mean there are no managers? Now, I'm in like the most old school command and control <laughs> industry you can be in. I'm in mortgage industry, which is like, it's essentially like being in like the soup can manufacturing business. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like everything has, and it's super highly regulated and, you know, everything has a, a you, you like you literally get in trouble if you don't have a, a management system there. Like you have to have a hierarchy. Or I think you get shut down by the regulators because they want to know who, who who signs off on stuff. Right. You have to have a checker checking the checker, checking the checker, as my former <laughs> partner used to say. Right. Um, but I, I got introduced to this by literally being in Zappos and seeing Zappos. Now, I'm going to can I give you my honest feedback of what I saw when I was there? Yeah. Curious. Which I don't know if that anything. I think this is more cultural than holocrat than a than a uh, you know blazing uh, indictment of holacracy. But I was like, man, this place is a fucking shit show. <laughs> I was like, this is like you could do whatever you wanted. Like it was like just every. And I'm a really visual person, like really visual. Like like I like clean lines. I'm kind of a minimalist. But if you don't have any rules. Then you end up with what, like what I call the Berkeley, California effect, which is everyone paints their house every shady color they want because they're like, it sucks. And I'm like, this is. I actually was like, this feels like it's counterproductive. So my perspective was it, that that is maybe the shadow of holacracy is people do whatever they want, and maybe it has nothing to holacracy. But that was the, that was the taste that was left in my mouth because half of me was like, I want to put have holacracy in my business. Why, why should I just sit there and manage people? Like, why can't they manage themselves? They don't want to be managed anyway. I know they don't. Nobody, nobody wakes up and is like, man, I can't wait for my boss to breathe, breathe out my neck and give me shit, you know? And no, and no boss is like, boy, what am I going to do today? Oh, I'm going to go fuck some people. Manage. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to go manage people. That'll be awesome. Right. So you have like two unwilling parties being forced into this box. So, it's an artificial system that we've created because of probably the industrial revolution and, 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 and one could argue it's super outdated. So I go back to my partners and I go, and I start talking to my one partner. He's like, that's a really cool. And it would never work in our industry. <laughs> and, and, heard that so many times. Yeah, I'm sure you have. So that was where I left it. But anyway, that when I saw that you were the, the, one of the creators of Holacracy, if not the creator of Holacracy, I was like, Oh, I got to meet this guy. So anyway, that's my that's my origin story on your your life's work. That's hilarious. You, you've actually also hit several misconceptions about holacracy in that, which is awesome because they're so common. It's what everyone thinks when they first see this, especially if they tour a company like Zappos. 
where actually Holacracy brought in more rules, not less than they had before. Yeah. <laughs> the single biggest pushback I think people had in Zappos and Holacracy is that there were too many new rules. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, it's, it's so common when people hear there are no managers and no management hierarchy. They think what you're saying is there's no structure. Right? They think you're saying no rules, anyone can do anything, and, and it's not that at all. There's more structure, not less than in a management hierarchy. We just get to the structure differently. Right? And, and that's why you talked about what industries, we have this in highly regulated industries. In fact, several government agencies, which are even more than regulated industries, use holacracy. Um, yeah. So it's not about the absence of rules. It's about how you generate the rules and how everyone can get involved in changing them. Um, but anyway, we can talk more about all that. Yeah, no, I want to dive into it. Before we go there, though, could you mind if you like, give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you got to that turning point of, of of creating this thing that's now, you know, like I said, your life's work. Like, give us your background. How did you, you know, you're obviously a recovering CEO. Give us give us the origin story, the start. Yeah, so I, uh, almost 20 years ago now, I started a software company. My background's in software. And I started the company with just this burning sense, there's just got to be a better way to do this, right? I had been in, in larger companies and I, I kept seeing again and again, the, the system and structure around me seemed to get in the way of the work more than any technical software challenge we faced, right? It was, it was the human system and, and the organizational system around us that seemed to limit innovation and creativity much more than, than any technical problem I ever did. And so I had this, this sense of, there's just got to be a better way to do this, but I didn't know what it was. So I turned my company into a laboratory. I, I basically said, look, I don't know the answer to this, but in the past, I always saw change was blocked. It was like the system around us was built to resist people having an insight and driving some change with it. You know, it was built to maintain the status quo. And as I researched and studied management more, I learned that's actually exactly what it was designed for, right? Wow. Management hierarchy emerged when the main problem we had was how do we get compliance uh, around a standard and, and get people to shut up, stop thinking, and comply with, with strategy from, from above. Most of the workforce, when we, we came up with modern management hierarchy, most of the workforce force was illiterate. And it was built for that kind of environment, not an environment where you need innovation, agility, creativity, or anything like that. So, you know, my, my software company was... Uh, it was a laboratory. It was, let's just try stuff. And we went out and I read every management book I could find, every new idea, technique, process, whatever it was, we just experiment with it and see what worked. And eventually we started running our own experiments. And over years of experimentation in that company, we came up with what is now called Holacracy, which is a different framework for running a company. Uh, but it, it was, the origin was not, this didn't come from an academic. It didn't come from theory. It came from just a lot of trial and error, a lot of hands-on practice in a, in a real business. So it's funny. Um, you just reminded me of this conversation I had about 22 years ago. I was, I, I went on this thing called semester at sea when I was in college and where you go on a ship around the world. So I'm on the back of the boat and I meet this guy. Yeah. It's really badass. It, like it, I, one of the best things I ever did. Um, but I'm on the back of the ship and I'm off of the coast of Israel and and I meet this guy who's a Baha'i, and he's explaining to me what the Baha'i faith is, which sounds mm -hmm. like it's essentially the holacracy of religion. But he's <laughs> he's like, well, you know what the origin of religion is, Darius? And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, you know, like majority of the population was illiterate, and they had to control them, so they created religion. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, now yeah. My, 
our religious viewers, which are probably zero, given the number of F-bombs I like to drop, um, <laughs> are, are, are probably ran for the door. But um, but yeah, it's, it's funny, like, like when you're creating systems for an uneducated mass population, then, you know, there is no room for creativity because it's not coming from a place of maybe deep understanding or of academic you know context right it's just coming from and, and one could argue that it doesn't matter either way but but they do need to get, be able to get people to do stuff who can't read the directions right yeah. so <laughs> like what do you mean i can't kill someone nope <laughs> god said thou shall not kill <laughs> are you gonna argue with the big guy or girl upstairs um like no i don't want to argue with him hey he's gonna smite you down like you know and and so i could see the same thing for from a command and control system it was, was created to get a consistent result create efficiency that one could argue that that early management system given the work uh, i guess maybe the ability of that workforce was the technology right that was the technology of that time yeah it was and and the technology was well suited for the environment at the time right it's it, a management hierarchy is not in any way a bad idea or an insane practice. It was brilliant for the world it emerged in. It's just, why are we still using technology that was, ex the telegraph was an exciting new invention. When this Amazing. management technology came about, why are we still using that technology, right? The world has changed dramatically since then. Right. So you, you started that in your company. Can you, do you mind like kind of giving us a little bit of the, of the maybe a, a visual of what the early learnings of I mean, obviously you had probably a traditional infrastructure at that point, you know, org chart, hierarchy, policies and procedures. Hey boss, can I go to the bathroom? Raise your hand, you know, like you know, obviously, like that's what most companies have some some version of that. Yeah. Um, what did you, how did you guys go for did you guys just say, screw it, rip out the guts and start from scratch, or did you guys like unwind it, how, walk us through how you went from the traditional management system that was everyone was using and probably yourself included to what holacracy is. And maybe explain, maybe before we go there, explain what holacracy is. So, and then we can go back to the beginnings and how you got to the end result. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Yeah, so, well, let me let me just say a couple of things about how we got there because they'll point to what it actually is. Um, or what it's not, which is is probably more important because it's so easy to get the wrong idea with this stuff. You know, I, I made the same mistake that so many companies make when they start pioneering and innovating with different approaches. Um, at first, I thought, hey, a lot of this structure becomes bureaucratic and get, gets in the way. So let's get rid of a lot of structure, a lot of rules, a lot of processes. And the problem is just throwing that out isn't enough. You have to replace it with something. You know, when you try to go to more of a quote flat, you know, company or whatever, by getting rid of layers of management and layers of bureaucracy and process, you often end up with something that's really difficult to get alignment and coordination and control. And you need those things. You need alignment. You need coordination. You need controls in a business, right? You can't, especially in your, your industry, right? You can't just throw that shit out. Right. So, you know, that was one of the mistakes. Just throw it out. No, that doesn't work. Now it's just chaos. And, and there are some advantages of that, but there's a lo- also a whole lot of problems with that, right? Right. Sorry about the background noise. We're yeah, yeah. at right now. <laughs> no, no. Hey, tell his manager to tell him to knock it off. And... <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Then uh, we tried that. So we also tried. What if we we wanted people to be able to to have more voice and decisions? Because I believe there's a lot of wisdom in the frontline staff of your organization, right? So we thought, well, we'll try more consensus-based processes, and that's a total disaster. That's no leads to what I call the tyranny of consensus, which is where everyone has a voice. <laughs> we all have to agree. We all have to agree, yeah, Brian. Everything. That's a terrible idea, right? Best ideas are when everyone agrees. <laughs> yeah. So early on, I, I'm in my 20s when I'm doing this experimentation in the, the early days of this. And yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It wasn't, right? Like, so lots of, of early experimentation that would just prove to be really bad ideas. So where we eventually landed uh, many, many years later is uh, something that is the opposite of what people often assume when they hear no managers, right? It, it's highly structured. It's just, we get to structure differently. Holacracy is a role-based system. So there's a lot of clear roles. In fact, there's a software tool we use for this. I can pull up my software tool. I can show you everyone's roles in, in my company. We have many roles. I have 20 roles and five different teams in my company. 
lots of people have, have many roles and, and I can show you clearly the purpose of every role, the why of every role, right? I can show you clearly the expectations on every role. So we have a really clear structure, but unlike a traditional job description, the structure, it means something, right? Like in most companies, when's the last time you went and looked up your job description? Nobody cares, right? They're not real. The clarity is something somebody wrote, you know, a year ago or someone in HR did or whatever. It's, it's, it's just not real. With Holacracy, that clarity comes from teams learning together. So there's a process in every team to update the structure and the policies of that team. And this is in every team doing this. So we're learning together, right? Instead of the manager creating structure, which theoretically we want managers to do, but most of them suck at it, right? Uh, instead of that, the team learns together. So we show up and we have a little retrospective. What happened in our past few weeks? What did we learn about our natural working process? What did we learn about the policies? What's in the way or what's needed? And we clarify that. And there's a whole process to this, this structure, this meeting. But the output is a really clear structure that you can count on that actually does matter. And when you have that kind of clear structure, you can then really empower it, right? So one of the, the things that Holacracy does is take a stance that says, when you're leading your role, you have the authority and the freedom to make any decision you want anywhere in the company to get the job done within the boundaries or the rules we've created together. We're going to need those. We can't throw out all boundaries. You need to know your boundaries or you don't know your freedom. Right. So, if you don't know the limits, you don't know your power. Right. So what what can you give like a concrete example of that? Because I think like yeah. you know, it, it's a little bit ab abstract, you know, totally outside yeah. of like, yeah. like so, so yeah, so let's talk about a, a yeah. role that like the audience would be like, oh, I fully get what he means by that. Yeah. So I'll talk about the role I'm doing right now. I fill a role called Holacracy Spokesperson. I give a lot of interviews, podcasts, conference talks, that kind of thing. And I get to spread the word about what this thing is and, and why it exists in the world. So that's one of many roles I fill. It's a role I'm doing right now. And to fill that role, to lead that role, I have the freedom to kind of use my judgment. I, I lead it. I make the decisions that I want to make. So does everyone else in their role. But there's also some boundaries. So for example, another role I work with, we're in our broader marketing team, right? Another role I work with manages our website. That role controls the website. So I can make any decision I want, but I can't mess with the website without checking with them. And it doesn't matter that I'm the founder of the company and she's one of our newer people. doesn't matter at all. All that matters is she controls the website in her role. She has her purpose and her accountabilities, right? And I have mine. I go, I lead my role. She leads hers. We're both CEOs of our role effectively. Mm. She doesn't have to check in with me, but she does have some clear expectations. I don't have to check in with anyone else, but if I want to mess with the website, I need to check in with her. So we break up control, just like society, right? I know I can live my life and use my judgment, and but I, I can't go take my neighbor's property, right? That my neighbor controls that. We have boundaries. Right. When we know our boundaries, we know our freedom. So in a holocratic environment, is there a CEO or no? No CEO. Yeah, uh, not in, in an internal sense. Uh, you might still use that title for the external world if that's useful in the business, right? If, if you still want to have somebody show up that way, sure. But internally to the business, there's no one that has that kind of command authority. Uh, understood. And so let's go back to this idea of role. How many roles can one person have? And there's no limit other than just practically how many hats can you juggle? Um, I have 20, so, and th that's a lot. Uh, there's There's... There's not many people that have more than 20, 30 roles. Wait, wait, you have 20 roles in your company? I do. Just like in life, right? Like 
I, 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 you might be the dishwasher uh, in your house. You might be the finance person or whatever. You have many hats you wear. You know, um, same. Are, they, are they ranked from a hierarchical standpoint for each no. person, or you just have them and those are the things you own? Well, as I do, yeah, they're the work I do, right? So I, I do our uh, coordinate our taxes. I'm doing that right now with our external CPA, right? I, I have that role. It's not very much fun. I have a spokesperson role. That one's a lot more fun. Um, I, uh, I, I do. I just have a number of other things. I do our trainings. I, I'm one of our trainers. Um, so okay. lots of different roles. So, okay. So, so, so a way for a, a more layman like myself to think about this would be everything I own is, can be defined in a role with boundaries and deliverables as well as uh, expectations and accountability. That's right. And you can define exactly that. What do you control and what are your responsibilities that come with the power to lead that role? So, so, so let me, let me ask a question. So let's say I'm a CMO of a, of a normal company. CMO is going to be the person that can there. Maybe the role they own is the strategic brand architecture of the company. They would not own in, in a traditional environment. They would own all the output that, 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 that department, the marketing department creates, they would own. So I'm just going to use an example of my former business. Our CMO would have owned all the creative content that's created. Um, our creative arc for the year, uh, strategy around go- taking marketing to market, right? They're going to own like that high level. And then under them, they're going to have the team getting the work done. Now, what ends up happening, what ended up happening or ends up happening, what I would see is, you know, the, maybe they, w- they would have to jump in to, to fix things or they would have to, you know, push to hit deadlines and so I saw my one of the things that I witnessed was and my complaint would have been that, man, that person's if they weren't there, then those jobs wouldn't get done the probably to the best of, of the department's ability. Mm-hmm. How would a holacracy change that? Yeah. So uh, to start with, you'd start exactly where you are. Right. You just break it up and define the roles more clearly like that. That CMO probably has a lot of roles. Right, I, I find this often when I'm working with companies. When you get the three-letter titles, there's a lot of roles in there, right? Like right. I worked with a CFO a little while back who realized, okay, he has a, you know an accounts payable management role, like that's just managing the process of accounts payable. He's got an accounting standards role that defines their accounting standards. Lots of different roles, right? So you break down the roles to start. You don't change a damn thing. Like if if you want, you have maybe a, a, a copywriter role. And what's happening right now is the copywriter role kind of runs their copy by somebody with a lot more seasoning and and strategic focus. Great, create roles for both. Have a strategic brand role and a uh, copywriting role. Have the copywriting role, have a clear accountability for getting input from the strategic brand role before publishing something or whatever. Start there, start where you are. The accountability would be that, hey, my job is to create copy and one of the levels of my accountability is I must always get quality assurance from the copywriter signer offer role. Possibly. Yeah, you can do that. Now, the question that you have to ask, and, and this conversation is really powerful, what level of autonomy does that role have? Right? Do you really want them to have absolutely no authority to make any judgments whatsoever? Well, if that's what you really want, you can do that. Holacracy doesn't prevent it. right? But in reality, that's probably not what you want. Maybe you want them to not have to even get an approval, but just solicit input. That's like a lower level standard. And that's often the case. You want them to use their judgment, but you want to make sure they get input. 
sometimes for certain important key decisions, you want a little stronger. You want somebody having to go actually get an approval for something specific from another role, but not for everything they do, for some defined things, right? So the first step is just define all this. Let's be clear and then tell people within the standards we've created, stop giving your power up to someone else, stop looking to be told what to do and start leading your piece within these expectations. Lead your decisions, lead your piece. Right. Then let's let that structure change because we're going to learn together. There's going to be times where that strategic brand role says, stop coming to me with all this stuff. You're wasting my time. You know, they might want to, to reduce the amount of stuff coming to them. Right. Or the other person might say, hey, like this is slowing me down for stuff that isn't needed. We can just change it if it's not good. You know, why don't I just retain the right to lead this piece? So the goal is not to get the perfect structure up front. It's to map what you have, right? But be clear, where do you really need limits? And within, within them, give freedom. And then evolve the structure. Let it change. Let it adapt. So, yeah. So going back to that, it's funny when you're saying this, is I think that the ideology of this was something I actually personally naturally did with all my I – I, I think I'm naturally a holocratic manager or leader yeah. because I don't – I used to tell people, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be involved, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. I, I, what I do is I want to be there to help you when you need help. Yeah. And, and you tell me what you're going to get done, and we can agree on it, right? So this yep. is like this, this organic agreement, right? It wasn't documented, yep. but I hear what you're saying, which is – yeah. Hey, look, tell the copywriter. And what's interesting is if you look at a, a board, right? Because I think yeah. a board is an actually kind of an interesting yeah. example of this. Yes, it is. In, in a corporation, you have board governance, right? Mm -hmm. So because there's so much legality and risk and I guess responsibility associated with the board, they actually kind of create this. They say, okay, yeah. this decision needs to get approved at the board. Everything else you have full autonomy to, to yep. do without, right? Yep. So, but people, and then you get into the organization and it's a cobweb of, 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 I guess, murkiness, right? Right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. This is what we want a good manager to do anyway. We don't want managers that micromanage. We want managers that create clarity. But the, the trouble is we don't give them much tools or support for that in most companies. And it's really hard, right? Ideally, you want a manager, like you're saying, that doesn't just boss people around, but says, here are your expectations. Here are your limits. Within them, I'm not going to micromanage. You go lead, but honor these boundaries. You want that kind of clarity. What you often get are managers that aren't good at that. And when you get one that is good at that, they get promoted and replaced by someone who's not good at that because right. there's not enough to go around, right? So what Holacracy does is prevent the micromanagement so they can't take the easy road out. You don't have the authority to micromanage in the system. You have to create clarity, right? So the old bosses, they're not bosses anymore, but they do have access to the same process that everyone else does where we can define the roles and define the boundaries, so they can drive clarity to that and they have to, but they also have a, a language and a process that helps them do that. It's not just good luck, create clarity. It's here's what role definitions are. Here are the rules of the game. Here's the process where you can shape it. And by the way, everyone else is gonna be helping you do that. It's not all on you anymore. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things, pizza, Pink Unicorns, Core Values, and Down Dirty Interesting Conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. 
And so I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment, and you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end, and it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's dariusscale.com. And now back to the show. So if you look at, um, if you look at, for instance, um, gosh, a position, let's say where, so let's say you, you roll this out in an organization. What I'm hearing you say is that the system, the holocratic system is a discipline Yes, it's an adoptive process, but it's a discipline. Really, people are doing their job, but the nuances in how it's being managed, and where there where there are boundaries and where there's autonomy. Yep, and and, absolutely. And 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 the probably the the chasm people need to cross is the discipline around role clarity, role iteration, and then um, and, and once you have that and some sort of process around moving the entire organization with that, then you're essentially a holocratic organization. Is that my thing? Yeah. Right? yeah. There's some processes to it. Like the process, we call it our governance process where people can update roles and all that. Uh, and then there's the discipline of actually using it. So for, for ex bosses, this is not just staying in the old habit of micromanaging, right. But using the process to drive clarity and for people on the front line, it's not deferring to the old bosses, looking to be micromanaged or told what to do, and instead leading your part and stepping up, right? So, and then using the process to drive clarity when you need something different from the boss, right? Or the ex-boss, you can expect things from them too. It's not just a, a, a simple command hierarchy anymore, you know? So expectations go in all directions here. So do... do- Again, ex- this is like the the argument or the uh, I guess the challenge around schools that don't give grades, right? Is that the mm-hmm. outside world doesn't recognize it? So, do you find that that people still have titles, but the, the but there's no? So, could you have a vice president of quality assurance, and then you have a, an associate of quality assurance? The role, the role, uh, the role of they don't report to any nobody. I guess nobody really reports to anybody that their roles define their obligations and their roles might have certain obligations that cross pollinate with other people. Is that my thing? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so what some companies do when there's a need to give people something to put on a resume, uh, they make some standards. Like if you have roles that have these kinds of functions, uh, right, then you can claim this title. The title means nothing internally, but we'll back it in a reference check. Right. So sometimes they do that. Some companies just throw out titles and they say, you figure out whatever the hell you want to put on your resume. We don't care. Um, you know, find something appropriate. We'll tell people what you actually do and show them all your roles if they ask, you know, what you can do it. So let me ask a question. So like, because I, I, I'm a very, uh, I'm a student of the game of scale growing businesses. My, I grew my last business. I, I exited my last company in July, but I grew that company to about a thousand employees. And, and I've always bootstrapped my businesses and grown them. 
And so for me, I, I got very into the systems around scale. Some of those, uh, uh, Gino Wickman calls it entrepreneurial operating system. Yep. So there's traction and scaling up. And some people like to use OKRs. Probably that's something you're really familiar with being a software business. And, and I'm integral. So I kind of like all sorts of systems and kind of putting them all together. That's, that's what, it, so one of my questions would be, there's a discipline around those systems. So let's say I have a strategic framework around where I'm doing quarterly strategic meetings. I have everyone show up who's appropriate for the role, who's yeah. in their role. It says you need to be a part of the strategic meeting where we talk strategy because yeah. they own strategy for that function in the business. Yeah. And then we have these, you know, so that would be more of a strategic model, right? We're setting, we're establishing, I guess, whoever owns that would work the, with the other owners of strategy to build the quarterly strategic initiatives. Am I, am I, am I thinking about all yeah, this? Right? Totally. Yep. Get clear okay. roles. And then, and then also what do you expect of other roles around aligning with those strategies and where's the boundary between what they're expected to align with and what they're using their own judgment to decide. Holacracy doesn't, push an answer to that on you. It's just making you get clear with that and then allowing that to change as you realize, you know, some things you might be over controlling and some things under controlling. And this thing in most businesses, it's not that everything's over controlled. Often there's a lot under controlled that you need more right. controls around. And there's a lot of other stuff that's over controlled. That's just pure bureaucracy that you need to, to peel away controls on. Uh, most businesses do not get the level of control right because there is no universal answer. It needs to be different in different questions in different parts of the business. Interesting. So what you need is a process that lets you adapt to that and find the right level of control for the team, for the process, for the context. And that's a moving target. So it needs to be able to evolve. And that to me is the magic of Holacracy. It's, it's giving you a language and a process to evolve everything else, to evolve what we expect, what are the controls, what are the, the alignment you know, expectations, the limits, everything. So, so with that being said, if you're using things like, let's say, an all hands meeting or exec, I guess you don't have executives, but uh, you know, execution role owner, right? They mm -hmm. own all the ex execution of the strategic items and the business as usual items, and they're going to meet once a week to go over what's happening in those areas, to review KPIs or production or challenges, where they're at on the quarterly strategic initiatives. All this, those. Those more traditional strategic execution frameworks stay in place. Holacracy kind of fits on top of that based off That's of right. how things are happening. But yeah, you're still yeah. going to have your 10-year plan. You're yeah. still going to have your three, five-year plan, one-year plan, quarterly initiatives associated with those things. How those things interact are a little bit – how they come yeah. to be and how they're owned are different. Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, you might. And um, some businesses do. Others find that sometimes the, the planning is like almost a – especially predictive future planning becomes a, an excuse. At least we're doing something to try to get some kind of control and alignment. And sometimes you find when you have a more dynamic approach, you need less predictive planning, but it really depends on the business. But what you're spot on is Holacracy is a meta framework. So it's not telling you how to break down you know, your specific strategic initiatives, what your goals should be. It's not telling you how to run your business, what your roles should be, what your business processes should be. It's giving you the meta framework to define and evolve all of that, right? So it, it's compatible with a lot of other things. We have a lot of companies using it with OKRs right now, right? Because OKRs are operating at a totally different level of scale. What are our objectives and results we're going for? Holacracy is what's the meta framework so that we can change the expectations on each other and the mm -hmm. boundaries between our roles, right? Which is, is a missing piece. We look to management hierarchy to do that. 
and management hierarchy is a terrible tool for that in a in a dynamic environment. Interesting. And and so, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it seems kind of an, like an obvious thing because this this I, I'll go back to it. Like especially when you talk about governance, right? This is a. It sounds like a governance process. Yep, it right? is. It's exactly what it is. And, and so, what's interesting is in in a traditional, you know, this is a. I mean, it's really legal more than anything from a corporate governance standpoint, all boards do this already, but yep. they're doing it at the board level. And then the buck stops at the board. It doesn't happen below the board. That's right. And if it makes sense to do it at the board level, maybe it makes sense to do it at other levels too, right? Totally. At least in a complex environment. Yeah. Right. And so for people that are interested in doing, well, let me ask you a question because this all sounds good and great, but what is there data that supports that this creates better outcomes? Yeah, there is. Uh, so there have been several studies now. Harvard Business School did a couple of studies now on this. We're waiting for the results to be published, which takes years in academia, but uh, we've had some really good interviews. In fact, you can find a couple of them recorded on the web with the, the main researcher from Harvard that did this. And fascinating data. We've also had other data collection. Uh, for example, just to give a taste, uh, one, it was a government agency actually that adopted Holacracy for this data point, and they measured before and after six months of Holacracy, how many meeting minutes did it take to get a clear answer, a clear decision or action from somebody else when you needed one. And the reduction was over 90%, over 90% less meeting minutes needed to get a clear action or clear decision from someone else, right? Which is, I think, pretty remarkable. Uh, even more remarkable, though, there, they also tried to measure how many meeting minutes does it take when what you need is a change to a policy of the organization or to somebody else's job or role in Holacracy language. And they, they wanted to measure the improvement of that, but they couldn't because all the surveys came back infinite from before Holacracy. In other words, people would say, we've been talking for years about some of these changes and they are not possible to make. We cannot drive change to our policies or do other people's job functions, right? After Holacracy, it was an average of about 20 meeting minutes for any one significant change to a policy or a wow. right? So that's not just an efficiency improvement. That's a new capacity that the organization did not have before, right? So I think that's an interesting one. Another one of the Harvard studies measured, uh, what about uh, perception of job performance from, from peers? And that was an interesting one. What they, they actually measured after Holacracy, people that were rated as generally above average, good performers before Holacracy got way better, like way better. But people that were generally measured as poor performers before Holacracy actually got worse in the system, which from a, uh, my background as a former CEO and just general business guy, I love that, right? I yeah, want my yeah. poor performers to stand out. I don't want them to be just a little poor. I want them to be horrible <laughs> because when they're horrible, it's obvious and I can deal with it and I can get them the hell out of there, you know, right. or change something dramatic or whatever. And that's exactly what Holacracy did. The good performers were freed and got way better and the poor performers stood out. They got worse. And then right. the organizations could adapt to that and get them into a better role for them or get them out or whatever was needed. So wow. yeah, fascinating. There's lots of other, other data out there, but those are just some, some little anecdotes. That's crazy. And so um, what like uh, there was a company down and I know we're kind of rounding towards the end of the show, but I, you know, the, I forgot to mention this early in the show. I heard of a company in Brazil hmm. that, that it, and I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're this like publicly traded company. I think it's like a conglomerate and they're famous hmm. for being holocratic. I, I believe so. Am I, am I yeah. thinking? 
I know what you're thinking of. They're, they don't use Holacracy, but they use a, a custom homegrown self-management framework. So before Holacracy came on the scene, there were a lot of companies that did self-management, not a lot, actually, a small handful, uh, but it was all, there was no standard framework. So they kind of just had to hack together their own unique approach. Right. Uh, the famous one, Semco in Brazil, there's um, Morningstar in the US, which is a billion dollar revenue tomato processing company. They have no managers, uh, lots of employees, no managers. So th there are examples like that, but it wasn't until Holacracy came on the scene like 10 years ago that the self-management movement started really thriving and flourishing because now it, you don't have to reinvent the wheel and find a homegrown way of doing this, which takes a long time to work out. Now you have a generic framework that you can just adopt and it shortens the learning curve for this and the transition curve dramatically. Uh, and that's why there's now thousands of companies all over that do this instead of dozens as there were about 20 years ago. Ah, that's so cool. Well, man, Brian, you're rocking my world, man. This is so cool. It's a, it's really interesting to hear the story behind this and, and to get some clarity around what sounds like an organic way to grow a business, the way that people want it to want to be managed and the way that really the way that recovering CEOs like yourself and myself really want to manage the business. I don't want to manage the business. I don't want to manage anybody. I, just, exactly. I, I barely want to manage myself. I want to be an entrepreneur, not a manager. And I think that's true of most managers. <laughs> totally. So where, you know, where can people find you and why don't we, we give all the, well, we put this in the show notes, but yeah, where can people find you and get hooked up with you and all the cool things that you're up to and that you're doing? Yeah, totally. So the website, holacracy.org, uh, people misspell holacracy all the time. So if you're actively typing it, it's H-O-L-A, H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y.org. You'll find uh, there's, there's online trainings, events, free resources, videos, lots of stuff on there. Um, so Find the website, see what what makes sense. And you can always reach out to my company through there. Just click contact us. And we have coaches all over the world that can we can hook you up with somebody local to chat with. Uh, yeah, reach out if we can we can help. Very cool. Guys, well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. It was a pleasure to learn from you and to learn all the amazing things that you're doing. And dude, keep going out there and spreading the greatness known as Holacracy and in of yourself. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Darius. This is fun. Yeah, so much so. Guys, take care. We'll talk to you guys later. Peace. We're out of here. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world, and we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from, and leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers, and after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, 
and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.